Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. In 20 years as Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin established his reputation as a major figure on the global scene and brought his country back from its dismal appearance during Boris Yeltsin's reign. An important part of his agenda had to do with a proactive foreign policy backed by military force from Georgia to Ukraine and onward to Syria. But next week, Putin's political party, United Russia, will be tested in elections and according to public opinion polls, is expected to get a smaller slice of the country's parliamentary pie. Russian voters may long for the real or imagined glory days of the Soviet Union, but they seem more interested in their economy and domestic issues than in Putin's power plays in the Mideast and elsewhere. What does it mean for the next Russian moves in the Middle East, an advance or a retreat or more of the same? To further analyze this topic, we're joined from central Israel by Professor Zev Khanin, who is an expert on Russian and Middle Eastern studies at Barilan and Ariel Universities. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from elsewhere here in Jerusalem is Dr. Neil Bums, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Good to be here. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest developments pertaining to Russia's involvement in the Middle East, but also uh, to what degree it impacts Israel. So, as you said, uh, Putin um, uh, repositioned Russia as a world power, perhaps not appear with the United States um, and almost appear with China taking its place as the second uh, most important uh, nation uh, in the world. But there is uh, a contradiction here uh, in the run-up to the elections. On the one hand, uh, yes, domestic issues, the economy, um, take precedence over foreign policy. But on the other hand, the most popular politician in Russia today is Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu. Um, I happened to be in Moscow uh, in November of 2012 uh, with then-President Peres. Uh, This was the time when Shoigu was appointed defense minister. Uh, He was known uh, in the uh, uh, bureaucracy, but not uh, very well known. And apparently, during those eight, uh, almost nine years, uh, his reputation uh, was bolstered. And uh, apparently he has taken uh, Dmitry Medvedev's place as uh, uh, Putin's uh, number two. Uh, having uh, said that, the question is whether Russians expect Putin and Shoigu to lead foreign policy and national security projects or um, conversely to do what they can uh, domestically. And uh, we will see uh, come September 19th whether uh, uh, this has any chance of uh, some retraction from the Middle East. It doesn't seem as if uh, Russia will give up on Syria. Syria is uh, its most important uh, outpost here. Of course, if uh, it is going to have any problem uh, in the Crimea or uh, in other places which are even more important to it, then um, it may neglect uh, for a while Syria. 
but it seems as if the uh, Israeli government will have to live with a Russian presence here, and it may be a blessing in disguise. It doesn't have to be seen as a threat to Israel or as a source of hostility. Indeed. Professor Hanin, I'd like to ask you on Russia's keen interest in, in the Middle East, and for that matter also Syria. Does it have to do with Western interests, or is it more on Southern interests pertaining, of course, uh, according to CENTCOM Commander uh, General McKenzie, he, he always terms the, the Russian presence in Syria as a hot water base for its activities in, in Africa rather than elsewhere. Would you agree with that? Indeed. Well, uh, since the moment, as you mentioned, of uh, coming back to the proactive foreign policy, uh, normally researchers started from uh, the, the starting point, uh, identified with the Munich uh, famous uh, Munich promotion of uh, President Vladimir Putin. Uh, there were three different directions uh, in uh, uh, the, uh, Russia's foreign policy, and the Middle East are not the most important of them. Uh, the most important, probably, what we will call relations with the Atlantic world, uh, Europe and the United States, uh, especially what is related to their export of carbonium of gas uh, to Europe, and for that they need uh, this or that sort of cooperation also with the United States. And uh, uh, as we know, uh, in the recent days or recent weeks, uh, there was a quite a piece of success for Russia's foreign policy when uh, Europeans, uh, first of all, Germans and the United States agreed uh, to support the idea of Nord Stream 2. Uh, a great deal of disappointment uh, among the East European allies of the United States, including Ukraine, uh, also President Zelensky, uh, with a declaration together, the uh, joint declaration with uh, his American vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, they declared that uh, United States take her will take care of the Ukrainian security, but after their Americans uh, uh, leave of Afghanistan, uh, uh, many of the American allies ask questions uh, up to what degree they can uh, rely on uh, the American support. And uh, of course, uh, uh, the Atlantic world and um, uh, leaders of the European countries and the United States leaders, uh, they will do their best in order to ensure the, the allies that that still uh, the, the rules of the game didn't change. Still, uh, Russia uh, pays more attention uh, to that part of issues rather than our area. Uh, the second, of course, is the, what, what is related uh, to Russia's interest uh, in the Far East and uh, uh, Southeastern area uh, of Eurasia, uh, relations with China uh, and, uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, the Middle East comes with that. However, the Middle East is uh, the, like it always happened uh, in the world policy and world politics since uh, the late uh, 17th and early 18th century. This is the point, our area, the Middle Eastern area, uh, is the point where the interests of the great powers uh, unite, uh, either in cooperation or more often in confrontation. Uh, so from this point of view, we have to take into account that Russia at the moment is ready to infiltrate or take uh, any uh, empty niche or niche that becomes empty, empty uh, after the uh, Americans uh, disengage from there. Uh, and the uh, uh, Afghanistan situation and what happens in Syria at the moment gives us a pretty good example. Uh, and uh, from this point of view, the interest of Israel is continuing, or at least to uh, understand 
uh, in what way the previous understandings uh, between Jerusalem Moscow and Moscow are still in order. Now, at the moment, uh, Russians are not going to change dramatically uh, its policy in concern of the Middle East, despite uh, uh, various uh, pieces of information that get, which has very little, if anything, to do with reality. Uh, that was a lot in the, in the media, as you know, and in the recent days. Uh, uh, however, uh, uh, not a few people believe that it might be a sort of the change of the rules of the game, since Russia uh, is uh, going to strengthen their alliance with China and Iran. And uh, uh, in Jerusalem, they have to watch the situation carefully. Indeed, it seems, uh, as you highlighted the last part, uh, this is a point of deep concern in Jerusalem. Dr. Bohm's uh, a naval maneuver between Russia, China, and Iran uh, is taking place, of course, in the Persian Gulf. There's the Strait of Hormuz. There are different uh, discussions about uh, interoperability, uh, something similar to the Western NATO. Now they're establishing between Russia, China, and, and uh, Iran, and other actors, for that matter, uh, that have done plenty of maneuvers. One of those countries, however, that is participating in many of those uh, joint maneuvers is also Egypt, which uh, Russia has significant interests in. Would you draw a certain line to uh, the influence Russia has in Egypt as opposed to the American influence there? We all remember, of course, of uh, the foreign minister of Egypt, Samir Shukri, several years ago during the Obama administration, uh, vowing that they will no longer put all the eggs in one basket in reference to the American uh, approach towards Cairo at the time, uh, and now is materialized in multiple actions, of course, in rapprochement or the, the bolstering of relations with Moscow, with Beijing, and, and other actors in the region. Yes, Jonathan, and if you take this exact uh, same question a few years ago, uh, uh, and you ask it in the context of Turkey, you may get uh, actually a, a similar answer. It's interesting, uh, when you're looking at the, the Russia's foreign policy, uh, if you compare it to the United States, Russia is a much weaker country. I mean, its uh, GDP is 1.7 trillion when the U.S. Uh, is over 20 trillion dollars, 10 times uh, that of Russia. But if you're looking at the regional influence, uh, you're looking at a, a, a fairly consistent trend uh, of a decade of the U.S. Uh, moving away from the Middle East, uh, decrease in influence. And you've seen uh, the Russians beginning to work more closely with a number of U.S. allies, uh, Turkey being one of them, Egypt. Uh, we can mention the uh, the meetings that the Russian uh, foreign minister had uh, earlier um, this year at the UAE uh, with uh, Mohammed bin Zayed uh, in uh, Syria as well. And, and, and part of that uh, is a fairly smart move uh, uh, that enables uh, uh, Putin uh, lead a, a policy that, uh, on the one hand, positions Russia in a very central place uh, uh, within the region and beyond, ables uh, to work with uh, China uh, and Iran, and at the same token with their adversaries, while keeping a certain balance within uh, the United States uh, with having in many ways the upper hand on uh, in the region. Um, 
And this is probably why uh, President Putin uh, perhaps prefers this international arena to play with. He's got a lot of problems domestically uh, inside Russia, and not to mention the economy and, and the COVID crisis. Uh, Russia, despite the fact that it's developed one of the first vaccines, its own people do not support it. I think the uh, vaccination uh, rate in Russia is less than 11 percent. Uh, which is sort of an indication of the trust of the public in the uh, in the government, which may has to do with the first comment about the upcoming uh, you know elections. Um, does Israel have what to to be concerned about? Uh, well, of course it does, but this is also why Israel is uh, negotiating and working with Russia, and so far was able to uh, keep uh, uh, sort of a modus operandi in where uh, there is a coordination mechanism, there is degrees of understanding. Uh, there are uh, some some red lines and understanding of what uh, should not be crossed, but overall, uh, Israel is able to uh, continue its uh, uh, work uh, mainly uh, uh, in the Syrian uh, uh, arena uh, and is able to do so with the Russian uh, presence. A certain degree of, uh, of coordination uh, and and sort of a balancing act uh, regarding the issue of Iran, but this is also very clear that if uh, Russia would have had a different policy uh, in uh, Syria, uh, the Iranians would have been uh, much weaker there. Uh, Russia has its own reasons for uh, uh, not doing so. Um, and leaving Israel to do some of the work on the ground or the dirty work to uh, sabotage uh, uh, that uh, presence. Uh, but all broadly speaking, in good terms uh, and with the Russian ability to balance between all of these interests uh, and to maintain the uh, relationships with Iran while maintaining the relationship with Israel that continues to hurt Iranian interests under Russian control uh, with Russian uh, um, anti-air missiles that don't really work so well, perhaps also partially deliberately. And all of that has taken place uh, with a very interesting balancing act. And I think Putin was able to do it better than many others uh, in the region or overall in the world. Well, not to forget, of course, that the uh, Russians have been or the Syrians have been employing the SA-5 or the S-200, which is far from the S-400's capabilities, which uh, the Russians have, even though deployed, not utilized against Israeli aircraft in Syria. Uh, Mr. Oren, Give us more of a concrete overview on uh, the surrounding of Israel. Where is Russia's involvement bolstering? We heard, of course, the king of Jordan, Israel's eastern neighbor, or the monarch of Israel's eastern neighbor, speaking about the vital role that Russia has in this region during his meeting with Vladimir Putin, the president uh, of uh, Russia in uh, the 2021 army summit, which uh, was held next to Moscow. So um, whoever um, is used to uh, simplistic views of the Cold War uh, may be surprised uh, to look back and see that at least since the death of uh, Stalin uh, some 68 uh, years ago, the overall uh, Soviet and then Russian policy has been um, cautious and conservative. Um, the Russians, yes, have used bluff and bluster, uh, including uh, Bulganin's threat against Israel, France, and Great Britain during the uh, Suez uh, crisis of 1956. But mostly, they have tried to hold on, to contain, and help their own 
puppets, uh, satellites, friendly regimes such as in Hungary and uh, Czechoslovakia, they did not attack the West. Now, of course, in recent years, uh, they did uh, reoccupy the Crimea, but this is uh, almost an internal fight between the Russians and the Ukrainians who were part of the uh, Soviet Union. In Syria, um, much as they did in Afghanistan uh, in the late 70s, they came in to help the regime, not the country of Syria, not the nation, but a friendly regime, of course, for their own reasons. Um, even earlier, by the way, when Russian pilots had dogfights against Israeli pilots in 1970, they wanted to help Nasser's regime. They didn't fight the Israelis over occupied Sinai, but only when Cairo uh, was in danger. So um, you can see the um, uh, contours of the modus vivendi between Israel and Syria. Uh, once Israel, for all practical purposes, declared that it is not out to topple Assad, that it will live with Assad, even though its heart may be with the democratic opposition, then you, you could uh, see the uh, practical arrangement between Putin and whoever is the prime minister of Israel. It is not as if uh, he longs for Netanyahu. Uh, Bennett uh, will give him the same, Lapid will give him the same. We can live with Russia as the uh, uh, patron saint of whoever rules Damascus. Professor Khanin, you spoke earlier about the growing alliance uh, between Russia and Iran. Uh, to what degree do you see this develop on, on the Syrian uh, front, on the Lebanese front? Uh, and uh, is there... Uh, more in in store for cooperation in that arena, or is it uh, as Dr. Bomza has mentioned, uh, not necessarily aligned on all sectors of interest? Okay, uh, I would say that uh, in principle, uh, Russians uh, see uh, the, the current situation uh, now again like it was in the period of the Cold War uh, uh, from the two poles point of view. In a very recent poll that was published by authoritative Levada Center for Public Opinion Research uh, in Moscow showed that uh, you have a clear dichotomy uh, between the enemies and friends. Uh, it's uh, again, uh, it never happened in the recent 20-25 years, but Russians again started, uh, Russian public at least, uh, which are influenced certainly by the messages by, uh, that, that, that come from Kremlin and uh, other uh, centers of power. Uh, so they see that they have uh, clear friends and clear enemies. They're on the top of the clear clear enemies, the United States. On the top of the clear friends, China. Uh, and uh, uh, it's pretty clear uh, that in this situation, of course, uh, let us be frank, even for academic and research community, it is much more uh, convenient or less confusing to understand the world from the point of view of uh, two superpowers uh, that uh, compete uh, to, to each other. Uh, and uh, at the moment, that's United States and China and each uh, other center of, of the other center of power uh, should take uh, a certain side. Uh, Israel, uh, it's pretty clear and Russians understand it. Uh, they, they take the side of the United States and it's pretty understandable that uh, internal and the regional policy uh, of Israeli government, uh, both the previous and the current one, 
they follow some messages and recommendations uh, that come from Washington. Uh, as for the Russian point of view, that uh, it's pretty clear they're taking side of China, but of course they also compete in the areas where the two countries have competing interests. Iran in this situation is a very important point, uh, which uh, on the one hand, uh, Russians are interested that they will come back to uh, agreement uh, between uh, plus, uh, five plus one, uh, six uh, superpowers uh, with Iran. On the other hand, uh, Russians are interested that uh, Iran, as it was said in this studio, uh, um, uh, will be on their side and under their control, including the situation in Syria. Um, on the third side, uh, it is also pretty clear that Russian public is less and less interested in the foreign policy issues, uh, meaning uh, demanding from their government to pay more attention into internal problems, first of all, social and economic problems. Uh, so, um, uh, which means uh, that Russians uh, are less interested now uh, to, um, um, to, to give, uh, to invest uh, more and more resources uh, to the areas uh, in order to uh, various areas in order to exchange uh, not only their uh, opponents but also their partners like Iran. Uh, I agree with the fact that um, uh, Russians still interested to have um, uh, agree with the assumption that Russians are interested to preserve Iranians in Syria. Still, uh, they are not interested to take uh, most part of the job there. Uh, uh, so from this point of view, I would say that, uh, taking this, all this into account, I would say that uh, uh, there is a good chance uh, that uh, even the current Israeli government, that they are less personally acquainted uh, with their vis-a-vis -vis in Moscow, uh, would uh, come to or uh, might come to a, a, a quite a, a reasonable agreement with them in concern how to go on. Uh, dealing with the situation in Syria. Dr. Bombs, uh, what is Russia's perception in the Middle East? How do uh, the various regimes, countries, people uh, regard the Russian presence on the one hand, but also uh, in the sense of reliability? Uh, is uh, Russia viewed as a re reliable partner that is able to execute, or are there limitations based on their meager or relatively meager economy also taken into account? One of the points that were mentioned by uh, Dr. Khanin is that uh, in the Russian mind, there are friends and there are enemies. And I think that also uh, brings a certain larger, stronger sense of consistency. Uh, one of the reasons uh, to uh, support uh, Assad uh, side of the particular Russian interest in Syria is that Assad is a part, he's an ally, and you don't abandon allies. Uh, unlike, by the way, the Americans who have had a number of flips uh, and a number of allies who felt very much abandoned by the Americans, and the Russians uh, were not trying to portray the exact strength uh, uh, of, of the Americans or saying, look, you know, we are more reliable when it comes to our allies. And that certainly gave Russia a, a number of points um, being straight shooters, uh, very clear policies. This is what we are going to do. We're not going to veer away from this. Uh, and perhaps uh, that's also part of the uh, advantage of having a system that is not exactly a democracy. So you have a certain degree of consistency uh, that can be uh, kept. 
Um, and I think the proof uh, uh, that of Russia's growing uh, uh, influence in uh, in the region has to do with the particular advances that Russia made. So Syria aside, uh, it uh, uh, created the industrial zone uh, in Port Said in Egypt. It created another one in Sudan. Uh, logistical uh, support. Uh, it has uh, increased its involvement in other arenas uh, like uh, Libya and open new uh, uh, relationships, uh, strengthening the relationships with the Gulf. Mm -hmm. uh, it is working with uh, China um, and uh, now gotten closer to Turkey. So it basically means that the, the, the region understands that Russia has a certain role to play, that Russia is a, a reliable ally. Uh, and I think that perception stands also because of the contrast uh, with the United States that seems to uh, suffer uh, from uh, a perception of uh, not a very reliable ally that keeps on shifting uh, and not necessarily can be trusted. Indeed. Well, not to forget, of course, the nuclear civic uh, nuclear installations being constructed by the Russians in Turkey and Egypt. But Mr. Oren, sum it all up for us. Where does uh, Russia stand currently on a Middle Eastern platform? So three concise points or three concise interests which Russia has in addition to what we already said. In Israel, it has an ex-Soviet Union Russian-speaking community uh, which it caters to. It is important to them. It is one of the largest expat communities that they have uh, in the world. And obviously, they have an impact on Israeli politics. The um, uh, second uh, interest is the Russian Orthodox Church. Here, especially in Jerusalem, it's an important consideration for them. And the third one is the military-industrial complex, the defense industry. Of course, they don't feel too well about the uh, reports that Israel has managed once again to sneak in and around the uh, Russian-made defense um, forces or the uh, uh, missile defense uh, array. And right now they are going to uh, export the S-500. So um, there are more and more arms deliveries in store. Indeed. Well, uh, this is all the time that we have for today, and we'll obviously uh, revisit the Russian involvement in this region in the near future. But I'd like to thank Professor Hanin and Dr. Bums for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank Mr. Ogan as well, and uh, to our viewers as well. Thank you for being part of today's discussion, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.